Welcome to Hookah Chats with Matt and Ethan, a podcast where two friends catch up and talk about whatever nerdy stuff comes to mind, usually over hookah. Enjoy. All right. What is up, my man? Nothing much. Let me tell you something really fast. You know what I love about watching pictures of you play with an Oculus is? Uh, my favorite thing about <laughs> oh, it, Jesus. my favorite thing about those pictures is that <laughs> I can only imagine what your child of the eighties heart is feeling as you enter into war games, you know, as you enter into, into like the future you were promised. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can tell you, it's not all it's cracked up to be. It's not oh, yeah. all it's supposed to be. Kind of like whenever you see like Back to the Future for the first time, and you see that Marty McFly travels forward to 2015, and like none of it is accurate. Right, right. <laughs> that's that's sort of what it's like for me. Um, when I was playing that <laughs> Oculus, I was first of all mad because I had to move. Like I am, I'm one of those video gamers that like, you know, whenever the Nintendo Wii came out, I'm like, why are we swinging the controllers around? Like right, if I was right. going to play baseball, I'd just go play fucking baseball. Like I just want to hit a button. I don't want to like run around the room. And then whenever I was, so the, the thing that you're referencing, I assume Amanda must have posted it on Facebook. Yeah, it's just a picture. Yeah. Goddamn social media. Um, so my cousin, my, no, my, I guess he's my nephew. Um, he has one of those Oculuses and we were over there at my mother-in-law's for thanksgiving and he's like you gotta try this game you gotta try this game i can't even remember what it's called some sh- some shooting game and i'm like all right i'm down i uh, you know i'm a i'm a gun guy from way back so yeah bring it and uh so you're in this virtual reality setting and, and it's very blocky it's very tron like you know it's not like <laughs> it's not very real like you get much better graphics off of, like call of duty or something like that this thing is <laughs> this thing is like it's a little spatially disorienting and it's all like cartoon colors and it's just not very realistic. But anyway, so you can see um, your hands in the virtual realm and you can see these guns that you have in the virtual realm. And like, I, like I said, I I grew up with guns. I I'm (laughs) well-trained in (laughs) firearms and everything. So like for me, like my, my physical motions are kind of automatic. They're almost muscle memory. Right. Right. So, I start off and, and um, uh, yeah, you have these two pistols, right? And the level starts and all these guys start coming out and they're shooting at you. And you're supposed to like actually move your head and move your body to duck away from the bullets. And I'm like, fuck all that. I'm just, <laughs> I'm right, just going right. through like with both hands extended, just firing away. And I'm, I'm taking like one shot and killing each guy. Like I'm sure. I, like my, watch my, my nephew do it. And he's like blaring away with both pistols at, all these things and i'm just like bang 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 but the point was like each round each pistol has six rounds in it and then it's supposed to reload and then you get more bullets right well he had it on a level or a setting that you had to like physically punch one of your enemies to get more bullets and didn't tell me this like he didn't tell me this and and, and i'm going through and he i'm like how do you reload this thing and he's like, you just pointed at the ground. So I'm like pointing it at the ground and it's not reloading and I'm getting shot and I'm like getting mad. <laughs> yeah, no, I would I'm like, what the fuck? I, and he's like, you just pointed it at the ground. And I'm like screaming. I'm like, what part of pointing it at the ground am I not doing right now? As I'm like thrusting my hands toward the ground. And 
like to me in the game, like I'm all encapsulated in the virtual realm, right? So I can't see anything but what's going on in the game. But my wife is sitting across the room with her phone recording me and it looks just it looks just terrible right right like, right it doesn't look so good. asinine because <laughs> like it's just some person in the middle of a family gathering like what the fuck you know? yeah yeah no i understand <laughs> i understand beth loves all that virtual reality stuff like anytime like a like a gimmick thing comes out you know where it's like oh you can do this virtual reality thing with your phone like couple of phones ago beth got like a thing that she could attach her phone to and do it and i would sit in our apartment in washington dc and i'd watch my wife attach this thing to her eyes and then just like <laughs> stare at a brick wall for like yeah, <laughs> for, yeah. For like 45 minutes and i'm yeah. like honey you look ridiculous <laughs> like, yeah. i gotta so say I'm not, I'm not i'm not a fan of the oculus uh i'm just I, I, like i said man whenever i'm playing a video game like i just want to sit on my ass <laughs> sure push sure. a button like if i wanted to actually go do a hogan's alley i'd go do a hogan's alley like where you run around and you like shoot at pop-up targets they have sure. those yeah but yeah we live in a different we live in a different world right. no you're right you're right it's kind of why i wanted to talk about dungeons and dragons with you at some yes. point well, do you because, want to talk uh, about that today or do you want well, to we could we could we could we might have a guest star coming in pretty soon my my friend uh-huh. jb's coming up from uh he lives down near Harrisburg, right in Hershey, and uh, he's coming up. He he's, uh he's hunting tomorrow. So today oh, is today is the uh, day before book season. Fun. So I spent most of my day getting myself prepared for tomorrow's festivities. Normally, this would be me being out at camp drinking beer and regaling people with false stories of past hunts. Uh-huh. But since now we have to do Saturday and Sunday hunting, it's not. On Monday morning, like it has been traditionally okay. for years, um, I can't do that. But it actually works out for me because I have school on Monday, and we don't get school off on Monday. Which in Central Pennsylvania, to not have the first day of deer season off is kind of that like is a, a little heresy. weird. That is a little a weird. Heresy. Yeah, but uh, um, that's the way the cookie crumbles. But at least I'll have tomorrow and Sunday to to hunt. Right. So. Right. No, that's exciting. That's really great. I, uh, I'm glad that you can, and, and I'm glad that JV's coming down. I think that's mm-hmm. awesome. I, uh, my, my one up update, I only have one update because nothing of note happened to me at Thanksgiving. It was just <laughs> really, really normal. Uh, well, is, it is fairly, fairly good. My, <laughs> my brain has entered into, um, th- this is really a sign of my ADHD, you know, kind of in general, but my brain has entered into you don't really want to write papers, do you, Ethan? And, 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 and I'm like, I'm like, I mean, I'm excited about them. I don't really want to write them. And so my brain's like, you know who you've never read before? This obscure German theologian, you've never read him. And, I, and I'm like, God, brain, you're so right. That's what I should be doing right now. And so like, I'm resisting this urge to like, read things that I'm not doing anything with. <laughs> and so like, it's like, well, I've always wanted to know about him. And and. And then the rest of my brain's like, you really should be writing like, you know, papers. You should be. Yeah. Like, and you're just stuff. like inventing things to procrastinate with. <laughs> yeah, basically. basically. Well, I don't think that's a matter of your ADHD. I think that's just a matter of writing papers. Like, I think that's a normal that's reaction right. to like anyone. <laughs> well, and I think you're right. But like my the the way in which my mind obsesses is a very ADHD thing. Like I at least that's what I hear, you know, and what I understand. This is just how I've always been. So. 
for me, I'm like, doesn't everybody, doesn't everybody like sort of, you know, when they decide they like something need to become a master at it in five days or, or they'll die. Like, and, <laughs> and, you know, I, I saw Nick, I saw my buddies, Nick and Jory today. Cause we were, we just drove down from Pennsylvania today. Uh-huh. And so I dropped, I like, we stopped for lunch and, and I sat with them, Adre and I sat with them and with Angie and um, Nick's wife and my friend and, and Annie, Jory's wife and my friend. And, and basically like we sat there, me, Nick and Jory sat there. And it was so good to see them. I haven't seen them in, you know, months. Right. And we basically just like sat and talked about nothing. Like we said, yeah. it was great. Like we ate burritos <laughs> and, and we talked about uh, the things we're obsessing over. If we, if we do talk about Dungeons and Dragons, Jory is currently running like three Dungeons and Dragons campaigns. Oh, and so it's pretty fun. He, I mean, Jory, because like, because Jory and Nick both left the church and they have, you know, they work for my mom now, but they like, have set hours and like, you know, do stuff. Right. They, they can have this space to play and, and screw around. And so I am jealous as well. Um, but, uh, cause I just, I just don't get to do that. And, and the, the couple of people that run uh, campaigns in my department, like I have to tell, I have to be honest with them. Like, so they're like, yeah, do you want to join our campaign? And I'm like, I need to be clear with you. I try to ruin campaigns. That's the way I have fun. <laughs> I have fun by, you know, sort of being awful. And they're like, oh, well, I mean, okay, we'll call you if we need you. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> but, uh, but Jory's talking about, you know, Jory was talking to me about what they were running. Nick's character just died in their last session. Yeah. And it made Jory's wife, Annie, who's playing with them, cry. And he's like, he's dead? <laughs> and Annie's very, very dramatic, very emotional. And, and, and Jory's like, yeah, he's dead. Like, he was trying to make uh, saving throws and because they're they're playing five five point oh, and yeah. uh, as he's trying to make saving throws and nobody's coming to save him, he's like, "I'm dying." <laughs> okay, well, I guess that's that. That's you impressive know? because, like, with my experience with fifth edition, I mean, I started playing first edition back right. in back in the way back, but like with fifth, like it's almost impossible to die. Like you have to try to die. In fifth edition. <laughs> well, Nick, Nick, uh, Nick is notorious for playing his character, which I appreciate. Uh-huh. So, like, if he develops this sort of idiot, headstrong, I'm gonna rush into the fight character, he plays him that way. And so he, I guess, rushed in as a wizard. He was like, "I'm just gonna go in myself." And then, well, see, got, that's a terrible idea. He got well. I, George, no. Jory's like, Jory's, Jory's DMing. He's like, "You really want to do that?" Nick's like, "It's the character, man. I have to do it." And Jory's like, "Fair enough." Uh, you're you're murdered basically. Roll a new like, character. Like it's over. Yeah, <laughs> you're done. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, and and so and I so I listen and I I get jealous and listen and but I'm glad they're having fun. They yeah, they they've spent a long time apart and one day I will be back with them perhaps. You know, if yeah. there's no jobs, I'll come home. Right, we'll just be a bunch of like sixty-year-old retired people, like right. <laughs> sitting Landing around playing the... Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> that, uh, that that I have to uh, uh, believe that that generation is coming up soon. The the first generation of Dungeons and Dragons players will, in the next fifteen or twenty years, be in that be in that uh, age uh, bracket where they're sitting in homes playing Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> There's nothing much else to do, you know. <laughs> That doesn't sound like a bad way to go out, man. I don't, I don't disagree. You know, like I think that's cool, right? Like all, all these eighty-year-olds now are like, well, there's nothing to do, and I'm like, well, I mean, you guys we're just gonna sit around tabletop. and 
sit around and vote for Trump would be angry all the time. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> and not get vaccinated. Yeah. Um, that would be a much better idea. How about we how about we play a, a campaign? Let's do a dungeon crawl. <laughs> you know, dungeon crawl, anything. Life would, be, life would be so much better if we would just like stop fighting over politics and start playing Dungeons and Dragons together. <laughs> That's true. That's true. You, you don't get have a lot of fatty. You can get a lot of fatty aggression out through Dungeons and Dragons. You're, you're really not wrong. You're really not wrong. Like for me, I get a lot of my immorality out in Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. You know, like because right. um, I hate combat, as you know. Combat pisses me off, so I don't have any aggression that I get out in combat. But uh, you know, it, it would certainly stop people that have like the wrong opinion about Kyle Rittenhouse from talking. You know, <laughs> yeah. I have some opinions. Mm yeah we'll see you know they're wrong they're wrong <laughs> they're incorrect they're incorrect <laughs> i don't know yeah, that guy have... was that guy was just defending himself i mean he took a gun into a live uh you know problem that he shouldn't right. have been in so he was not defending himself <laughs> right there was some there was some audible celebration at the uh the tech school that i go to because I, yeah. I go to school with a lot of rednecks right. and they were like yes yeah, see there there's a there's a victory for the second amendment i'm like mm, that's not a really a victory for the second amendment at all like that's that's a victory for like i don't know batman i guess <laughs> everybody thinks batman's real now like we is that what we want we want vigilantes running around with, with rifles like i and and then i brought up the uh the my one instructor was talking about it and he was trying to remain apolitical. This is not my, my first term instructor who would have not remained apolitical about right. it. My, my second term instructor was trying to be a little bit more diplomatic about it, but you could tell that he was like, yeah, finally. And he's like, right. and I was like, well, and he, he started saying, and it, 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 you can't, it can't be about race because you know, the people that he shot were white. So thank God that they were white. Cause if they would have been black, it would have been even worse. And I'm like, well, there's still like people being shot. Like, right. it doesn't matter what color they are. People, I, said, I said, I don't know why we want to make everything a race issue. This is a simple issue of uh, of, of, of toxic masculinity. That's yeah. what this is. I said, um, it, I, and I equated it. I think I texted you the same thing. I was like, um, Kyle Rittenhouse showing up to a riot with an AR-15 is a little bit like showing up to a whorehouse wearing a condom. Like you're expecting to fuck like you <laughs> you're going there with an agenda. Right. Uh, that automatically negates the uh, self-defense thing, if you ask me. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> well, and then you had the the one of the guys that he shot that he didn't kill it in the process of the trial. It came out that he he had he himself had a gun. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and for when, when that piece of evidence came out. You had all these, uh, all these, you know, super yay Kyle Rittenhouse nut jobs, or like, see, it's totally justified. And I'm like, brother, you got it, you got it, like completely backwards. Like, I don't understand, <laughs> I don't understand this at all. Like, like the dude who is from out of town walks into a situation with an AR-15. He has just killed two people, and the guy who has a legal gun steps up to stop this active shooter <laughs> right. gets shot. He is literally the good guy with a gun that you keep saying is going to save us. <laughs> and you're, and you're happy that Kyle Rittenhouse shot that guy. <laughs> like it doesn't make any sense. Oh my gosh. Of course I had a gun. I it's a legal gun. I tried to stay. He was, he just murdered two people. I was trying to stop him. Oh my God. I love it.
Yeah, and you know what the uh, the bottom line is: the AR-15 is if 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 you buy the argument that Kyle Rittenhouse was defending himself, the reason he had to defend himself in the first place was because he had an AR-15. Like the reason the kid, the first kid, hit him with a skateboard was because he had an AR-15 and was threatening people. <laughs> like that's exactly. why he got attacked, right? Exactly. So like, exactly. had he not had that AR-15. Not only would he have not shot anybody, but nobody would have attacked him. Well, right, because he just would have been a guy. Yeah. You know, I, I don't, I don't, I guess I, I don't get it. Like, I, I wouldn't be what you'd call pro-cop, but, but right. Kyle Rittenhouse is not a cop. Like, no. if, if Kyle Rittenhouse was a cop with a gun and somebody attacked that cop. Different story. We're now talking about two different things. Completely like, different but, argument. But, but like, he's, to treat him like he's enforcing the law in this moment is like, I don't I don't wrap my brain around it. He was Not 17. He's seven. Yeah, I was just going to say he's 17. He shouldn't have an AR-15 anyway. The, the gun was illegally purchased for him by a friend, right. you know, which shows how stupid easy it is to get an AR-15 in this country. <laughs> sure. But like, like, there's no there. And, and that charge, the the illegal weapons charge. I mean, forget about taking a gun across state lines, which he did, which is a federal offense. Um, and. and like, I don't understand how all that just got thrown out, like how that just got ignored. And it's one of those things that, like, I, I'm just not entirely sure what to make of all of it, except that it's one of those moments where it just feels like rigged from the beginning. Like, like right. nobody wanted Kyle Rittenhouse to be in trouble. In fact, people wanted him to be like a happy little boy and, and everybody's favorite little young man. Like, and so that's just what we decided to make happen. And I'm like, OK, I mean, he. He murdered two people literally from beginning to end. It was wrong. Like from beginning, yeah. we got it on camera. We know everything he did was incorrect, but eh, well, okay. He'll be Senator Rittenhouse in 20 years. And then oh, that'll God. be that. That'll be that. Well, did, did you see that there were several senators that were like that Madison Cawthorn guy, the guy that's yeah. in a wheelchair from like, a Nazi guy. Yeah. Not a Nazi, but, but <laughs> well, he's a fascist closest, weirdo. Closest thing you can get to one. But yeah. anyway, um, like like he called him and he's like you can come down and intern for me and it's like is that how you get job officers now you just go out and like what the hell's wrong with you people (laughs) i just don't don't get it like i'm pretty sure if i was a senator or a congressman like one of the first things on my list of like intern questions would be like have you ever killed anyone (laughs) if the answer is yes for whatever reason no you're not going to be my intern no thanks like I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure Kyle Rittenhouse because of well maybe not I don't know I don't know how it works with uh with with just him with how the trial goes like pretty sure he's not even allowed to serve in the military anymore so like you know like but I guess he I could be wrong you know what here's the thing Kyle Rittenhouse wouldn't, wouldn't want serve to. in the military he wouldn't, he wouldn't want, want to. to because the other people have guns whenever you're in the military you're going Daring. usually against other people who also have guns and that changes the dynamic you can't be Batman whenever everybody else is like on the same power level as you. The only reason Kyle Rittenhouse was walking around carrying that gun was because of toxic masculinity and his idealism of himself being some sort of patriot or whatever. And like, he wanted to get, he, he wanted to, to, he was a weak little boy who wanted to project power. You're right. That's why he went. That's why he went to begin with, you know, that's why he got an AR 15 to begin with because he was a weak little man and wanted to project power and if you're in the military that's a uh, like 
I have a lot of respect for people that join the military for the for person for reasons like um, patriotism. Okay, sure. I don't necessarily agree with them philosophically about it, but I respect it because you're willing to put your ass out there and like for those people that I, I think a lot of young people don't really understand what they're getting involved in whenever they join the military because they get a lot of you know they they have uh, a movie culture and this this heroism culture and this uh, you know love for the vets and don't kneel for the flag and all this. There's a lot of pomp and circumstance that goes with service members nowadays. And uh, it's not like it was back in like the 60s and 70s where you were getting poor kids drafted to go to Vietnam and fight a war that they didn't want any part of. You know, now we have an all volunteer military. And for those people that understand what they're getting involved in, which I would I would wager is fewer than than most. But like, (laughs) you know, I don't want to speak for for people that I don't know personally, but it just seems my impression that people want to get in there the military to get the the kind of prestige and to get the GI bill and, and the benefits. And they don't really consider the fact that you might have to walk down the street in Fallujah and have people shoot at you. You know, yeah, I think now there right. are people, there are people that do understand that and do do that. And th- that's balls, man. That's, that's, huh? that's, that's heroism uh, in, in a way that, that Kyle Rittenhouse doesn't have. Like he wouldn't have showed up there if he would have known that like the opposition had AR-15s too. He wouldn't have been there. Sure. You know, and I think you're right. And like the for me, so like a, a number of folks I graduated from high school with um, went into the military, like the high school I went to is was really not all that different from uh, like Clearfield, it, you know, like like I grew up in a town that was just a little bit bigger than Clearfield, like the culture is really similar. I just just wasn't wasn't involved in like hunting culture or stuff like I just did other things. Right. But like um I can think of at least two or three people I graduated from high school with who went into the military um, primarily because they had no other options. Right. And, and um, which, which really should is no good. Like, like uh, I just don't think that's any good, but like, I can think of at least two of the three people that come to my mind, like ended up getting out of the military, like totally fucked up. Yeah. Um, the one kid who he's not a kid, he's my age that I'm thinking of, he got, he got dishonorably discharged. I don't know why, because that's, he just, he didn't talk about it, but he was trained yeah. as a sniper. Yeah. And, and like, that's the only thing he knows how to do right. to this day. He just right. knows how to kill people at a long distance. Right. And, and I'm like, well, that's probably a, a bad, there's a 30 year old man out there who's dishonorably discharged whose one skill is murder at a distance. Yeah, you know, that's, right. that's probably bad. Right. Right. And, and, uh, and, and, and I think, you know, not to connect it to church for, but I will for, for a quick second. Um, and then maybe we should talk about toxic masculinity, at least for a little bit. Cause I have some thoughts about that. We can do that. Um, the uh, uh, one of the, one of my favorite conversations I ever had, with some of the ladies at the church in Kerwinsville um, that was like a really difficult, but like, I think that we sort of understood each other at the end of it kind of conversation was our veterans day celebration. Kerwinsville has a huge veterans day celebration. I'm sure they still have it. Um, One of my favorite people at Kerwinsville served in the Korean war. He's awesome. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and so we just have a big, there's a big military culture at that church. And, um, the last year I was there for that, uh, which I guess was 2019, I, I mentioned 
you know, are we ever going to reach out to like millennial and Gen X veterans? And, and they're like, they're like, well, I mean, surely there aren't many of them. And I'm like, I don't know if I understand what you're trying to, what do you, really? mean, by, <laughs> what do you mean by that? Like, I know lots. <laughs> yeah. That's the thing, you know, like Lauren, um, who is a uh, uh, Carol's um, granddaughter? Lauren's Lauren's boyfriend is a veteran. Like Lauren's right. boyfriend's my age, and he served uh, he served in Iraq. Like he and he's a he's a real good guy, and and he's he's not invited. Like like and and I use this as sort of an opportunity to just kind of talk about how um, I think on one hand this is a further extension of how badly the church has kind of failed Gen X and millennials and and now Gen Zs. But I also talked about it how it's a really good example of the way in which the church and 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 kind of conservative Christian patriotic people um, are trained to understand certain kinds of wars. Like like right. like I'm like I'm like I honestly just think that the reason why it doesn't occur to you that Veterans Day at the church is a great time for Gen Xers and Millennials is because you don't really see the Gulf War or the Iraq War as terribly uh, important, or you right. don't see them as terribly patriotic or, or terribly good. And, and so it's way nicer and sexier to honor a World War II vet or a Vietnam vet or a mm -hmm. Korean War vet. Um, well, and the Vietnam vets were horribly mistreated <laughs> during their time. So absolutely. Like, I, think, I think a lot of this... Um, boomer kind of nostalgia for the military is maybe a uh, uh, a compensation if you will uh for their behavior in their younger years <laughs> where, where they true. were pretty goddamn awful to the the troops whenever they're coming back from vietnam um so i think maybe it's a uh, a bit of an overcompensation the other way I, that might be totally correct actually i've heard that before as well um from more self-aware boomers um <laughs> who, who kind of have that sense because like for me, you know, and I said this to these ladies as well, I, I can't think of, and I'm sure there are, it's not that there aren't, but I can't think of a millennial veteran who left the military in love with this country. You know, like, like I can think, I can think of plenty of millennial veterans well, who left the military being like, man, fuck that. That sucked. You know, like, well, see, I know a lot of veteran. Well, I, I was in an occupation where I was surrounded by veterans. that's fair. Like a yeah, lot yeah. of the people that I was in the, that I worked with at the prison got their job at the prison because of like veterans preference and things like that. Sure. So I, I was around a lot of uh, veterans of the, the Gulf War in Afghanistan. And um, I wouldn't say that they don't love their country. Um, I think they do, but they definitely don't love their uh, administration. <laughs> yeah, fair <laughs> enough. Sure, sure. Uh, um, so uh, I, I think there's a disconnect there between what they were. Uh, and I don't want to speak for them because it's not my place, but I, it to me, it seems like there's a disconnect between what they were um, fed as far as God and country and love of the homeland and defending the country and then they get into that situation and they're like wow i'm i'm literally fighting for like rich people's money yeah, you yeah. know and and I, I think there's kind of that's where this is where cognitive dissonance is an actual term you know where where you know that like what you're doing is wrong but you have to do it anyway and it causes like ptsd and it causes like 
stress at home and it causes all kinds of depression and anxiety. This is why that stuff happens, right? Like it's one thing for uh, a person who was thrust into this second world war, for example, which was a, a legitimate, I would argue a legitimate fight for like the future of the world, like the way the world was going to be like, it was going to be fascist or it was going to be not fascist. Right. Right, And and like, you know, when you're, when you're sitting in in a, in a field somewhere getting shelled, there's trauma there. There's definitely trauma there, but at least you could go back to I'm fighting the good fight or I'm fighting for, you know, our way of life or our freedom. When you're sitting in Fallujah and nobody can point to that at home on a map and nobody can tell you why you're there with a straight face and you're not allowed to shoot at the enemy because there's all these rules of engagement because the 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 political situation is so complex that the, you don't really know who you're fighting. The person that you're defending one day is the person that you're shooting at the next day or that's shooting at you the next day. And you, you know that like something's not right. Like as a soldier, you know that something's not right. Like it's not, it's not that cut and dry. It's not good versus evil at that point. You know, you're just being played on a chessboard um, by forces that are beyond you. And you're, you're just a component to their, to a means to their end not to your own ends that caught that's i think why we have so much um mental issues with the military and again i'm not in the military i would have hmm, been me thrown out of the military in about a week because <laughs> i know me and i've seen me do it like somebody would have said march up that hill and i would have said no <laughs> like, right right sounds tough. <laughs> like like so like i have respect for people that are able to to exist in that in that capacity but um you know it's just not the way it used to be in terms of good versus evil i think that's true i think that there's um uh i think the suspicion makes like a the reality of it makes that impossible but but then just the suspicion of folks like sitting in the midst of cynicism and understanding that Mm -hmm. a like Come on. I mean, we in the 40s, we fought against people who were literally turning people into soap. Yeah. Like we, we right. know that we know they were, right. you know, um, and now now what? Now we're just going to kill a bunch of East Asian people like like just, just <laughs> because, you know, like right. because you want me to. Yeah, I think that's true. I think that's fair. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, you know, I I'm pretty ambivalent you know, about, about the military. I, I don't, I don't ever want to disrespect people, including, including veterans, you know, and I, I have no interest in disrespecting them. And I want to be very cautious about um, not uh, projecting them to be weak or bad or no, no, I agree or anything like that, because I don't want to sound disrespectful because I do appreciate the fact that those people are willing to serve. Yeah. But that doesn't mean I have to be on board with their causes. Right, right. And that's right. always the tightrope walk of, of a lot of liberal folks, I think. You know, like right. like the um, – that's – I was a young kid during the Bush administration, but that's the primary thing I remember about the Bush administration mm-hmm. is is any insult, any any critique 
of the war in Afghanistan is a critique against anybody serving in the military. Right. Whoa. Like, like that's, <laughs> that's ridiculous. That's outrageous. Right. But, right. but like that had a lot of traction. That's how it worked. You know, like, like, and right. I, and I, and I remember that now as a 30 year old, like I remember that being mm-hmm. something that I absorbed, you know, as a, as a young guy, as a young kid. And that was, and my parents are not like that, you know, not at right. all. Like my, my parents have always been, my dad in particular has always been very quietly, very liberal, you know, mm-hmm. uh, politically. Um, and, and they never talked to me about the war in Iraq, but like, that's just, or the war in Afghanistan. That's just stuff I, I absorbed through mm-hmm. school or through, you know, the news or, or whatever Saturday night live, you know, I went yeah. back to watch old Will Ferrell clips of making fun of George W. Bush. And even they didn't. And so they, they were even for the war, you know, there was right. no, there was no nuance in that. So. Well, and I think another thing that's important to remember um, when you put all these things in context is we are living in the most peaceful time in human history. I mean, throughout, like from the time we came down out of the trees since 1945, you know, for those 70 some odd years, we haven't had a major conflict that like millions and millions and millions of people have died in in terms of warfare which is remarkable now that's that it sounds weird because we're always talking about the war in afghanistan the war in iraq the war in, you know there's there's a pretty awful war going on in central africa right now in ethiopia like <laughs> but the, these conflicts are regional conflicts they're not they're not um big global things and that's never been the case in all of human history and i think we have like atomic weapons to thank for that really <laughs> because sure, like sure. the stakes of the stakes have been raised to such a degree that like if human beings don't learn how to get along or don't i mean the reason we fought in vietnam the reason i would argue that we fight in afghanistan the reason we fought in somalia the reason we do all these little proxy wars is so that we don't have to get involved in another big global event because the next one's probably going to be the end for everybody. <laughs> sure. I so. mean, I, I even think about like, like, what is the European Union? Well, the European Union is Europe going, we cannot do this again. Right. And so, and so we are going to uh, figure out how to, I guess, diplomatically, but, but more so craft government in such a way that to attack one another would be the dumbest decision on planet right. Earth, you know, Um and it's a double-edged sword, really, because when you have all these alliances like NATO, um, we have all these pacts. That, I mean, that's what that's what got us into World War One, right? It was all it mm-hmm. wasn't that was a regional conflict that got blown out of proportion because of alliances, right? Because right. this this country said we we've got your back if this person happens to do that, and we've got your back, and that's how World War One happened, and then that's pretty much how World War Two happened. Well, World War II is a little different. World War II is a pretty much a fascist regime going, we're going to take over everybody. But like having these having these alliances and having these like essentially contracts with each nation has preserved peace for the better part of 70 years, globally speaking, and has kept a lot of uh, these skirmishes from getting out of control simply because of the the terrible repercussions of a third world war 
but like that's a it's a still a dangerous thing because all it takes is for one minor escalation or one minor conflict to escalate and now we're all in it again so i mean we, we, we're we're living in a precarious time period where we don't know what it's like to be involved in a large-scale war we don't know in the united states people that had to like sacrifice in the united states women that had to go to work in the factories for their husbands people that had to buy war bonds whenever we had to ration um food or ration materials to for the war effort that's never happened to anyone in our generation because all those people are dead now they're all dead now so we don't know what it's really like to fight uh, a knuckle or a bare knuckle knockdown drag out war and i hope we never find out but I can guarantee you, you know, wearing a mask is going to be pretty low on the fucking list when it comes <laughs> to things that are important. If, yeah. if you have to ration your food or ration your, your uh, steel for bullets, like right. it's going to be a different fucking monster then. And we just don't, I don't know that the United States, the American uh, populace has the same kind of will or resolve we like to tell ourselves we do we like to tell ourselves that we're the biggest and baddest on the block and we like to tell ourselves that you know no matter what happens america bonds together and well what happens is america sends its children out to do its fighting right. for it and that's that's really all that happens <laughs> like we don't we don't really sacrifice much ourselves we expect the military to do everything for us you know this volunteer military that we bait people into through propaganda and the promise of like a good job or not having to be buried in college debt, you know, that's how we bait our children into go into going a, across the ocean to fight battles for our employers. <laughs> right. You, you said your punk rock roots are showing. You gotta be careful. <laughs> gotta be careful. This is uh, this is good solid rage against the machine shit right here. <laughs> Uh, this is actually a good way to transition into talk, having a, a a little conversation about toxic masculinity because I think uh, yes on the eve of hunting season on the eve of deer, deer season let's talk let's talk about that quick because it's interesting. Um, toxic that the whole toxic masculinity piece never really goes away, but like the. Um, Currently, in in the in the sort of right wing fearscape, critical race theory and stuff is like ascended into this, you know, you know, place that we really need to worry about because critical race theory is attacking our way of life, which nobody has stopped to think maybe our way of life is an obsessively white supremacist way of life, which is why everybody's afraid of critical <laughs> race theory. But whatever. Um, but like, I remember when toxic masculinity became a talking point for uh, a while there. Um, socially, a couple of politicians talk like that. People to judge like to talk like that sometimes, you know. Um, uh, it became this, um, oh, we're now attacking masculinity thing, right. um, which I find very interesting because I really think that it's like critical race theory, toxic masculinity is really not that hard to understand. It's not, it's not terribly complicated. There is a, a, selfish, destructive, and um, uh, hateful form of aggressive masculinity that we can all imagine. Mm -hmm. We know what it looks like. And, and 
we need to stop glorifying it so that people, you know, don't get killed by it. Mm-hmm. And it's really not that complicated. And, and, and I think it's one of those situations in which it's uh, people attack that problem with, with willful ignorance. And so you have, you know, some, you know, idiot like uh, Matt Gates, you know, right. who toxic masculinity or Tucker Carlson's a better example. He gives you that, that, that stare. Like I've never heard that before in my life, toxic masculinity. What is that? And I'm like, right. you're being ridiculous. Um, when, when really we, we all, like I said, we all really know what it is. Toxic masculinity is when a dude gets drunk and beats his wife. We, yeah. we know, we know what it is. And why is that toxic guys? We shouldn't have to explain that. That is a guy who has, um, because of his own insecurities and his own overcompensating and his own sense of what a big, strong man needs to be, has to make sure that the world around him sees him as a big, strong man. Right. We all hate those guys. It's the same <laughs> reason. It's the same reason that like somebody lives in the air. I just had this conversation with my my sister-in-law who lives in the Pittsburgh area. And she was like, you would be surprised how many people live in Pittsburgh that are you know, rolling coal with their dualies. There's not any room in Pittsburgh to have a truck that size or any need to have a truck that you need to be able to like, there's no, there's no practical reason for it. The only reason for it is to show how big a strong man you are, which is so weak. That's what's ironic about it. Right. Like, like all these things that are, that we can consider toxic masculinity. I mean, you're using it like, domestic violence which is kind of like the crown yeah, of it like but there's, yeah, you're right that's that's the top of the mountain right there's a there's a lot of dirt and rock that builds up to that like under that mountain there's a lot of minor toxic masculinity stuff and most of it is just to me it's so weak yeah. like <laughs> like well i always i always carry a gun on me that is so weak like yeah, what are you dude. afraid of why are <laughs> right. you so why are you so scared all the time, man? Do we need to, we need to have a talk? Like, are we going to, are you going to be okay? Like, like, or, or, you know, I have to drive my truck because, you know, fuck you. I have a bigger truck. Than, and it's like, dude, that is so weak. Yeah, like, relax. That, that, that's what's so funny about toxic masculinity. It's just like, like the projection of weakness to me. <laughs> like, as soon as I right. see it, all I think of is my God there's something wrong with you and you're, and I'm sad for you. you know? My, uh, my friend in college, his name is Dalton got in, mm-hmm. once got into an argument with, uh, with just some meathead bro guy, you know, his, his name was Eric. And, uh, they were, they were arguing and fighting and, and Dalton's finally like, do I need to call your dad? Do we need to call Do we need to? And so he yelled, he yelled at him. Like, it was amazing. He's like, do we need to call your dad? You need to have a conversation with your dad. You, need, you guys need to cry for a little while. You need to like mend some fences here. Fucking relax. And and uh, and that really stands out to me. I think you're right though. Like weakness, the 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 sense of weakness. I think it 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 projects. I think I see that too. Yeah. Um. I always, you know, I'm not saying I'm not saying the shedding of toxic masculinity for a lot of masculine people is easy. I'm not saying that like we all have our weird things. Right. I remember one time. Yeah. My- and, and to be fair, being masculine isn't necessarily evil. Not at all. Right. Not at all. But, like, but if you need to tell somebody that you're being masculine, 
Right. You're not being very masculine. That's true. <laughs> That's all and all, all you have to do is spend some time with some butch lesbians, and then you yeah. will realize that nobody <laughs> is saying being masculine is evil. You know, that's not it at all. Like, and I have spent some time with some Bush uh, lesbians and they're way more masculine than I am. And none of those people are driving a giant truck around because they can, you know, but but like those people are masculine. Like, like it's not that hard. I, uh, no, I agree with you. And I don't think anybody, you know, when I say anybody, of course, there are six people on planet earth who scream very loud about masculinity in general but but nobody who is you know doing the hard work of trying to make the world a better place ever is saying masculinity is bad yeah uh remember old gods of appalachian yeah one of the things that um i was reading about the other day i was just listening through again with my sister-in-law um because she had never listened to it uh one of the critiques that you get from the toxic masculine people on the internet is that it paints men in this bad light and and the the old gods people are like um i really don't know what they mean by that i think what they mean by that is most of our main characters are women uh and many of uh the characters that are antagonists are men and um and i think that they they sort of interpret that as this general critique against masculinity and and manhood but all they have to do is you know listen longer than five minutes to realize that that's not true it's just that in 1918 if you were a woman chances are there was a man in your life that you was not very nice to you (laughs) You right (laughs) because that's how 1918 was my question is why is that so threatening to people yeah like like for me if I hear a story like that, um, you know, I don't automatically think, oh, they must be trying to attack men. Like, and even if they are trying to attack men, it, 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 just, it certainly doesn't feel personal to me. You know, like, I, I don't understand why it's so offensive to people. Like, lighten up. Especially if you're really that manly, you'd be able to take it. So shut up. The way I was brought up, like, you know, you fall down, you skin your knee or whatever it is, you get up and you shut up. You don't cry about it. You walk it off, rub some fucking dirt on it. Be a, be a man. Right. Like, that's what I got. Sure. Like, that's what I consider masculinity. Whenever somebody says be a man, they're talking about like taking the the pain or the frustration or the anxiety, whatever it is, absorbing it and handling it in a in a grown-up right. fashion right in that's a, what in a, that's in a what healthy way man is supposed to be right that's sure. masculinity and i don't think that's necessarily negative you know no, i like, agree with you i don't think that's negative so like whenever somebody gets offended because like there's a, a female lead character and a male antagonist or whatever and they say well that's just you know bias towards men i want to say in this context be a man fucking yeah, deal with it you know <laughs> Grow up. Yeah, I would just say grow up. I mean, like the, yeah. I'm not, I don't tend to, to, to pull the, the, the be a man thing, not really because I'm against it. I just, it's just not in my yeah. vocabulary, right. but like for me, you know, healthy masculinity would, would include masculine people like masculine men who um, 
deal with their lives and their relationships and themselves and healthy and constructive ways. Like like it's not so like the rock, you know, (laughs) the rock would be a great example of somebody who is clearly masculine, (laughs) you know, he's built like a, like a mountain and, and is definitely masculine, but who like, you know, loves people dearly and treasures his life and his relationships and his friendships and uh, cares for folks. And, but, but despite, but that's not what makes him, you know, a man, I guess what makes him a man is that he handles his life in a constructive and healthy way. Like that's the answer. Right. And I think a lot of it comes from like the way we communicate with each other, the way, like when you, we, we, we term manliness or uh, things related to men as powerful or strong or good and things that are female as weak or, or you know, less uh, intelligent or, or, or whatever. And, and it's just always been sort of that way because we have a male dominated society and anybody that can't see that is just being willfully blind. But like it happens in the way that we communicate with each other. I mean, whenever somebody's doing something, uh, whenever somebody's behaving in a, in a childish or whatever way, or being a baby, you know, what do you, what do you call them? You use a female derogatory. You're like, yeah. you're being a pussy. Right. right. Which s- somehow connotates weakness, which is an- interesting because like, I don't know about you, but if we wanted to really insult somebody's like uh, strength, we would call them a ball sack. Because yeah, well, those well. those things are vulnerable. Like pussies can take <laughs> pussies can take a pounding. Like True. you know, so like on both ends, my friend. <laughs> right. <laughs> like those those things are like unbelievably tough. So like calling somebody a pussy should be like a compliment. But you know, but my point is like we have this ingrained in our society that like 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 the masculine is good and the feminine is bad. You know, right. or or you know if if somebody um what you know calls you a, or that, that's gay something's gay yeah, like that another, was that was a big a, thing when example. i was growing up but i mm-hmm. and i still catch myself doing it sometimes because mm. part of my upbringing i mean let's face it i'm considerably older than you i'm like 12 years older than that's you. true but like when i was growing up like we would banter around calling people calling each other fags or calling somebody gay sure. or whatever all the time and never once did we mean it in a in a homophobic or uh you know uh, in a way that we were we, we were denigrating uh people of the homosexual persuasion i have uh my 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 friend jake you know jake yeah jake um he's a gay man with a big giant beard he's a bear um mm-hmm. and uh he played drums in my band whenever we first started out he's i love the guy to death but it was so funny because we would start bickering in the band me and the guitar player would start bickering and he would be like would you guys quit being such fags, <laughs> you know, because, or he'd be like, you guys sound so gay right now. And it was just because that's how we communicated to each other in sure. our age group. And it had literally nothing to do with sexuality. Right. Sure, sure. But, yeah. but the fact that we have that in our vocabulary means that somewhere along the line, the toxic masculinity thing and, and the, 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 the roots of masculine power and feminine weakness, like, exist they're in our brains they're 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 part of us somehow and we have to be able to manage them and that's i think where people run into trouble because they can't they can't outwardly express these things without referring to those terms yeah yeah i think that's true 
and and as we're talking this out, listeners, the people who listen to our show know this, but I just we might as well say it. The um, all what a, all what like feminist theory like seeks to do is seeks to like uncover the things that we're saying, right? Like right. it seeks to say, hey, like your use of feminine terms as derogatory terms uh, is a is a baked in bias. Mm-hmm. that um does not actually need to be there like, right. like we can we can root it out and have it not be there right and and life might get considerably better for feminine people like if we do it like that um and and like and so this idea that feminism sort of uh is is you know hates men or or tries to craft the world in this kind of bizarre alternative unnatural image or is trying to destroy your kids or tries to to make them all lesbians like no i mean all what feminism all, all what feminist theory seeks to do is seeks to uncover those biases that matt you're bringing forward like right. and then and then yes change the change our society like right. absolutely it's supposed to do that uh, really good feminist theorists will tell you Hey, if we do this, this will actually be better for both men and women. Like right. both men and women will benefit from this because our range of expressions will open up, you know, the the ways in which we can communicate with each other will open up. And also like there are a lot I did theater, brother. Like I grew up doing theater. Like <laughs> like I spent a long t- a lot of time with with men and women who you know sort of uh, trans, you know, transgress some of these binaries and transgress some of these boundaries, mm-hmm. and and I really think this. Like, if you are particularly if you're a straight guy, like if you're a straight guy doing theater and you hold tighter and tighter to these the to toxic masculinity, you will find doing theater to be damn near impossible. Right. Because because it requires a whole range of expression. It requires a certain kind of vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're worried about that shit, if you if you're against that stuff, I mean, you're just not gonna be able to do the art, um, and and you're also not gonna be able to communicate and be in good relationship with folks in this field. But, and so, like, you have to let that go. And and one of the things that I've found being coming up through theater and doing that and being exposed to those same sorts of people, not that they're different hmm. people, no, or no, anything, you're, but you're like, right, you're right. but being um, around say a person who's homosexual or bisexual or transgender or whatever, they're used to this. They're aware of this. Like there's been times that there was times when I was directing the play where I would say, ah, that's gay. Don't do that. And I had people that were gay in my show, you know, and it just popped out of my mouth. And I, as soon as I say it, I go, Oh, you know, I hear myself say it and I go, Oh, and like, I, I apologize. I'm sorry. And they're like, yeah, man, whatever. Like, we know you're just an old guy. Like, that's just how you are. Right. And they are much more tolerant towards it than maybe somebody that would be my age or greater that like would be offended on their behalf for it. Right. And that, and that, that speaks volumes too, because that's, that's compensating in a different way. You know, people that, that are compensating for something that they're, they shouldn't be insulted by because it doesn't affect them but they're insulted by it on behalf of someone else. And that person that should be affected by it isn't that to me is strength. That to me is strength of character because that person understands like, I didn't, I didn't mean it that way. That's not like, I wasn't trying to denigrate your, you know, 
sexuality or anything like that. I just I fucked up because I'm a broken person that came up with like a totally different environment. And sometimes that shit slips out. And like the people that are that should have been offended, that should have been affected by it, weren't. They were like, okay, it's all right. Don't do it anymore. And I'm like, I won't, you know, <laughs> you know, because yeah, yeah. I had to be aware of it. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't it wasn't like a big blown up thing. Right. And on the other hand, I wasn't hanging on to it saying, well, fuck it. I'm just going to say it's gay because that's the way I am, because that, my friend, is toxic masculinity. You're exactly right. right. You're exactly <laughs> so, right. Like so the, it takes uh, it, inability to learn the. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It, it, it takes it takes a meeting. Yeah, it takes compromise on both sides. It takes it takes those people that are that are being. Um, disrespected, maybe unintentionally. Uh, to the they have to have the strength to get to know that like to understand it in context and not be um personally hurt by it as much sure. uh and the person that did it has to be aware that it's not correct and it's not fair and it's not right and it shouldn't be done and willfully try to change it because when both of those things happen that's how you get progress right yeah um, i agree so I, I think when people try to hang on on one side or the other too much that's where we get into conflicts that are unresolvable well and i think i i think i forget in what capacity the conversation came up between you and i but like this is i think another great example of of the differences in power right right and so um a an 80 year old person at the church i serve uh calling somebody calling a person of color a colored mm-hmm. is for Joe they, Biden calling them Negroes. <laughs> but that's what I'm trying to say. Like right. those are two very different things, right? Like like <laughs> if if Ethel from the church calls a black person a colored person, I could correct her. And then right. I probably should. Yeah. But correcting Ethel is optional. Right. Because she's just Ethel. Now if right. Joe Biden got up on TV and was like all the coloreds really think I'm doing a great job, which I'm shocked that Trump did not say. Like, like, like there, there's a part of me that's like, man, how did Trump? How did Trump not say those words? Like, like then, then somebody should absolutely be like, President Biden, you are the president of the United States. You right. cannot say that because right. what you say has power and, right. and rippling consequences, sort of across the board. Right. Ethel but- at the church, not so much. I hear you. I hear you. And I agree with you 100 percent on your assessment. What I don't think is that Joe Biden should be pilloried for that, because we have to understand the guy's 80 or 78 years old. Like, what did you think he was going to say? Like some shit's going to come out of his mouth from fucking 60 years ago, because that's where it was 60 years ago. I'm not saying you can't. can't, Yeah, you can't crucify the guy for it. You need to bring it up. And you need to say, hey, man, that's not cool. You can't do that. And then if he if he this is the difference between Joe Biden and Donald Trump. Right. If you were to bring this up to Joe Biden, he goes, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to offend. Blah, 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 blah. Donald Trump would be like. Fake news. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Know, that's all I'm going to say now. <laughs> right. <laughs> like that's how he would just double down on it. Right. And right. and for those people that have this sort of toxic masculinity mentality and there are women out there that hold toxic masculinity as well so let's not ex- let's not make this exclusively a male thing <laughs> right uh-huh. but like they're the ones that want to double down they're the ones that want to like that that want to stand on principle so they speak right and th- 
they're the problem. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then, yeah. Right. Right. And it's always principle. I was like, man, what a shitty principle, like, like to stand on. I refuse to be wrong in public. And so I won't, I won't allow it. Yeah. Well, so let me, we're going to, let's wrap up this conversation. Yeah. Uh, as we move to the wrap up um, in the theology world, this is, this is a, a what we're talking about becomes a sort of a difficult contention for conservative and more liberal like theologians, because traditionally across the board in Christian theology refers to God with masculine pronouns. Right. And um, I do my best to not use any pronouns for God. If I was really honest with you and you've probably right. picked up. I've on noticed that. that. Yeah. yeah, I do. I do my best not to do that. And, and I, I purely do that. Not really because I have uh, I don't wince when people use masculine or feminine pronouns for God. I I don't use pronouns for God um, purely for um, uh, uh, me just trying to be very clear. You know, right. when I talk about God, I don't want to use language that sort of has a lot of slippage or is kind of lazy. Like I try to use really precise language, um, and and I find pronouns to be imprecise, and so I right. I just say I just say God over and over. I, you um, know, and that, and that's a good thing. Let me just interject real quick. I want to stop you just for a second, because um, one of the things that I hear frequently is people inserting female pronouns into God. And when I hear that, it's almost like forced, it's almost forced hmm. in there, right? Like God and all her wisdom, like, all right, I get it. Like God's gender neutral. It's hmm. we shouldn't view him as a man or a woman, but whenever you put in, like it sounds forced when you put it in there as a female thing doesn't doesn't anger me by any means. But like when I hear that, I'm like, all right, now you're trying to make a point that's not the point. <laughs> right. right, right. And I, I, so, I yeah, there are people the in my I, life who do that. So I try right. not to judge. But. And when, and and I, one of the things I, what I want to what I wanted to say about it was I appreciate that whenever you speak about it, I've noticed that you don't use pronouns very frequently with God. And I think that's the way to go rather than rather than try to force the other one on there just to like make me think about it like I, you don't have to do that <laughs> I, I do that for mother's day sunday um right. at when i preach on mother's day sunday um yeah. for a few reasons and one of my favorite books i ever read in seminary listeners if you're ever interested this is a really and matt this is a really uh readable book i, I recommend it to anybody there's a a really great book i read called uh, mother mourner and midwife uh -huh. Which is which is a book that's like it's like a hundred pages long, and it's just about the feminine imagery of God in the Old Testament, right? And and those are the three sort of feminine images that the Old Testament uses to describe God: God as mother, mourner, and midwife. Right. Um, and I I actually found that book really compelling, and I think it's really great. Anyway, um, uh, yeah, I. I I, I tend to think my way is the better way too. if I was honest with you. Like, I, I just like, just don't use pronouns. Does it yeah. get a little awkward in our speech? Yeah, I guess. But like, I would rather say stuff that I think is precise than, than, you know, right. take some shortcuts that, that ultimately get the wrong thing across. Right. Right. Um, God does not have a penis and does not identify as a man. Right. God doesn't. We know God doesn't. Why do we know God doesn't? Well, the scriptures tell us over and over that God is doesn't have a body. <laughs> so right. We know that. Um, uh, and the tradition tells us that, too. But um, but yeah, I, what was I going to say? Oh, right. Um, well, the pushback you get 
not just not just this pushback you're giving, but the pushback, the sort of really sort of toxic pushback that folks will get when they um, that some folks will have when they question, say, the purely masculine pronouns for God, which should be questioned because when you say it, like you said, that's he as a neutral pronoun is an embedded bias, right? Like, right. like there, right. you know, and so that should be questioned. Um, but when it is questioned, what, what you get is you get various forms of pushback from the conservative Christian community, whether it's sort of blatantly sexist pushback, where you have somebody like my, um, my, uh, uh, my grandmother on my dad's side, Nancy, Nancy used to insist that God had a penis. Um, you know, she would insist. She's like, of course God has a penis. Okay. <laughs> okay. Why? I don't know. Okay. Like, okay, Nancy. Whatever, Grandma. That's not true, <laughs> but I don't have I don't have time for this. Um, you, you get certain pushback like that, but then you kind of get this um anti-critical pushback, which is really kind of where where I sort of settle on on this. Not, not I myself am not anti-critical, but this is sort of my concluding thought on the conversation. The 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 desire to sort of see how things have, have always been done as natural, eternal things is, I think, a, a conservative move in general, but it's a conservative kind of Christian move that, that manifests in a lot of different ways. And this is one of the ways it manifests, right? Mm -hmm. We call God he because the Bible calls God he. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry to tell you this, but the only reason the Bible calls God he <laughs> is because of uh, English translations, which are right. rooted in a male-dominated culture. It's really that simple. Like, no, it's not. It's always been this way. No, you're wrong. <laughs> you're wrong. Once yeah. again, you're wrong. <laughs> um, and, if the Bi and if you really think the Bible does just refer to God as a he, might I recommend Mother Mourner Midwife in which, right. or just reading closely at all, you know, like, like the book of Isaiah talks about Israel being in God's womb. Right. Okay. Well, I don't know if you know <laughs> this, but like generally female bodies are the ones with wombs, you know, like, yeah. like, so God, there's some stuff happening here or like suckling on God's teat, you know, like, like that's all in the scriptures. So, but but I think that that that, that sort of anti-critical pushback in which and, and we see this now with this, you know, diatribes against critical race theory, the, the, the critical side of like critical legal studies or critical theory from like the German Frankfurt School or, or all of this is just is, is essentially just the. These things are not natural. These things mm -hmm. might not be. It's not that these things are bad. But these things um, pretend to be eternal. They pretend to be um, how things always are when they're not. They're, they're constructed and, and they have a history and a genealogy. And so we don't actually have to, if, if we find them lacking, if we find these traditions or these ways of talking to not work, we can just get rid of them and replace yeah. them with something different. Yeah. And, uh, and that's sort of the... Um, uh, one of the re one of the ways in which I try to engage in in sort of critical theology, right? Or uh, and and why I think toxic masculinity is so toxic because it's inherently conservative in that way. You know, right. it, it it sees itself as this is how men are and have right. always been, 
and that's built into our culture across the board right. and it's been built into cultures for centuries i mean we we come from a patriarchal society western civilization is very patriarchal like it, it it's it's in us it's in us and it's something that if somebody's if somebody's willing to engage in good faith with it like mistakes can be made and yeah. not and not like it's not a deal breaker right somebody can like i would i would argue that like you were saying how the bible doesn't mention that god's a male or a female but in a way it sort of does in the new testament primarily when you're talking about the trinity we're talking about the father the son and the holy spirit you know two two distinctly male things and one ethereal thing right mm-hmm. so like i mean it's ingrained in us all the way back to then so yeah. like we can't we can't we can't avoid it all the way we can't avoid it entirely we can't just cut it out of the conversation but what we can do is recognize it and work on it you're right you're right i agree with you the um there's a book out there called called indecent theology by marcella atlas reed may she rest in peace she, she passed away um about 10 years ago and she she was sort of one of those up and coming, just like really brilliant theologians. And uh, in her book, Indecent Theology, she goes the opposite direction, like to make a point where she's like, I, I don't want to, I don't want to cut out the male pronouns for God at all. Um, Particularly with Jesus. I think Jesus was absolutely a man. And I think there needs to be more theology done on Jesus's throbbing eight inch dick. (laughs) and and she does this sort of provocatively and she's like she's like how come we don't have a theology of the dick of christ how come if it's so important that he is a man (laughs) like like, tell me about jesus's being and uh i would i offer it to the world in decent theology it's it's an interesting read but uh we'll see well, this is good. I'm, I'm going to wrap us up. That's cool. Yeah, wrap us up. I'm going to mute you because my guest is here and my dog's barking. So go ahead and no finish problem. her off. Hey, friends. Thanks for listening. It's been a, an episode of, of uh, oh, God, what, what is this? Of Puga Chats with Matt and Ethan. <laughs> we will see you next time. <laughs> I leave for two seconds and that's what happens. I'm like, I forgot the podcast. <laughs>